Sup, you beautiful bastards. Hope you having a fantastic Thursday. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show, and let's just jump into it. And the first thing we're gonna talk about today is an update to a story that we've been covering since back in August. And it is a wild, ridiculous ride of a story. And it's just kind of a small recap TLDR, if you don't remember, if you haven't heard the story before. You have three main players in this story, Johnny Bobbitt, Mark D'Amico, and Kate McClure. Last year, Mark and Kate claimed that Bobbitt, who was homeless, used his last $20 to help McClure. Bobbitt gave her this money to get gas when her car ran out on Interstate 95 in Philadelphia. And after, the couple launched a GoFundMe page to raise money for it. And in fact, they ended up raising over $400,000 from around 14,000 contributors. Bobbitt ended up later suing the couple over mismanagement of the funds, accusing them of using it as their own personal piggy bank. Bobbitt accusing them of using the money on things like vacations, a luxury car, gambling, among other things. In response, the couple denied any wrongdoing, saying that they would give Bobbitt the remainder of the money once he kicked his addiction to opioids and managed to hold down a job. They even accused Bobbitt of spending $25,000 in less than two weeks on drugs. Also, when we last talked about this case back in September, a judge ordered sworn statements from the couple to determine what happened to the cash, which Bobbitt's attorney Chris Fallon said was now all gone. We also saw that the couple's home was raided by police, who seized their BMW, among other things, including financial statements, jewelry, cash. And on the other side, we saw GoFundMe promise that Bobbitt would receive the rest of the money that was owed to him. And so that was where we were. We were very hopeful that Bobbitt would be good, that the people that, that might have kept this money from him, that might have screwed him over, that they would be held accountable. And then, wow, the update today. Today, Burlington County Prosecutor Scott Kafina says that the whole thing was a hoax. Safina saying the entire campaign was predicated on a lie and saying it wasn't just McClure, it wasn't just D'Amico, it was also Bobbitt. Saying they did it together, which is why they are all facing charges. Specifically theft by deception in the second degree and conspiracy to commit theft by deception in the second degree. McClure and D'Amico turned themselves in. They've been processed and now released. Reportedly, Bobbitt was also arrested and charged in Philadelphia on Wednesday night and will be extradited to New Jersey. And it also appears that Kate McClure made it very easy for investigators. According to Kafina, investigators learned that McClure texted a friend less than an hour after the campaign went live saying that the story was, quote, completely made up. That's like just a step below filming yourself breaking into a house. Actually, that's, no, it's not even. Because even in that situation, you might not have sent that video to someone. I mean, obviously my main problem with this situation is the fraud and deceit and just the fucking disgusting people. But Kate, why are you out here making evidence with timestamps attached to it? But also, I'm just, I'm just disgusted with this situation. I mean, I think there were so many of us that were also rooting for Bobbitt. Like, look at this guy with a heart of gold is being taken advantage of. But according to investigators and prosecutors, he was in on it. Turns out, Bobbitt knew Kate and Mark for about a month before the campaign launched. They reportedly met him on one of their frequent trips to a local casino, and they ended up giving him about $75,000, but he wanted his fair share, so he accused them of withholding the money. Kafina said the three probably would have gotten away with their scheme had Bobbitt not wanted more. Also of note, if you were one of the 14,000 people who donated, or I guess if you're also one of the people that's worried about giving to GoFundMes in the future because of people faking things, Kafina has said that GoFundMe cooperated with this investigation and will be reimbursing anyone that gave money. And I just truly hate stories like this because it's it's not just a disgusting thing. It just, I... F it's a story that just makes people feel stupid for having hope in the world. And I imagine there are at least a number of you out there that are that are like me. It's, it's the cynical side of me that is constantly fighting with the, you know what, there is hope in the world. There's the, the happy, hopeful side of me. And it feels like seven out of 10 times cynical wins because people suck. And also maybe it's because the people that suck, suck so much they stand out more. Maybe it should be a policy that after every shitty story we get like a, a palate cleanser of good. And actually, here's a good one I found. I feel like I should mention it because Part of this show is informing you. I feel also like I'm just slowly traumatizing about a million people a day. And good news, I saw a report come out this week that, you know, remember Bat-Kid? He's a five-year-old leukemia patient. He essentially took over San Francisco for a day. The Make-A-Wish Foundation announced that he's been in remission for five years. Miles is 10 years old. He's cancer-free. 
That's something. It's good news. And that's where I'm gonna leave that initial story because the first part makes me want to punch a wall. Then we had some trashy type news, although, uh, I mean, comparatively, it is more civil than the, than some of the things we've seen in the final story we're gonna talk about today. But as you may have seen online, we had Danielle Bragoli, AKA Cash Me Outside Girl, AKA Bad Baby, popping up in the news because uh, this video. <laughs> Uh, let's explain the stupid. That is 15-year-old Bad Baby throwing a drink on 28-year-old Iggy Azalea at Cardi B's Fashion Nova party. And unsurprisingly, the situation spilled out onto the internet. Iggy taking to her Instagram to write, so the Dr. Phil girl is really upset about me apparently and thought I'd fight a child. LOL, anyway, the Fashion Nova party is lit. Also, if you're wondering, yes, it is as painful for me as it is for you to hear me say lit. And she posted several things, some of which she's deleted now. She talked about how her goalie was removed by security, said I came to get a check, I left with a check, you left with your bag stopped over there and you look silly. I'm not gonna be scrambling around on the floor for a 15 year old girl on the internet. Her girlie responded on her own Instagram, writing glad you left with a bag cause you certainly ain't making no money for music anymore. Called her Two-Face. Then seemingly responding, we saw Iggy Azalea tweet. Anyway, I'll let y'all know about the $2.7 million distribution deal I came back to LA to sign later this week. I have big girl things to do, gotta go. And it continues, but none of it really matters. I mean, I think you get the, the general gist of <laughs> where certain aspects of entertainment are right now. And I think that's what really stood out to me because I saw some people talking about this story going, can you believe this? Yes, I can. If you're even remotely familiar with who we're talking about here, why is this surprising? Bergoli's career literally started on Dr. Phil where it, it looked like she was just gonna be another one of the, the young troubled kids who's acting out against their parents. But then somehow she took the viral wave behind Cash Me Outside and then she turned rapper. And she's continued to ride that wave to the tune of 15.7 million followers on Instagram. This is what people signed up for, and she grows from two ends because of drama. And this is not unique to her, but it is something that we see constantly. On one end, you have a lot of people that like the I don't give a fuck nature of someone that would be willing to throw a drink on another person. And on the other end, you have a person that grows because you have people going, I, I just wanna see what happens next in this thing that looks to me like a train wreck. And as a person that loves watching and kind of breaking down outrage marketing, uh, I'm just always fascinated by stories like this. But also because we have so much of it, we, we are in this troubling place of, even when I see something like this or, or the more extreme version, I end up having to question how much of this is fake because ev us even talking about this, it gets Fashion Nova out there, it gets these artists out there. I don't know the last time either of these two popped into my head. But also that's not a healthy thing to think, especially as the situation escalates from a, a thrown drink to who knows what we would see next in this or any other situation. Where all of a sudden we don't sympathize with a victim because we're like, ah, it's probably fake though. And with this story, really, if there is a question, I guess it's more around the trusting if something is real or not, or does that even matter? And I talk about that situation, but, but at different levels, you know, you have like the Machine Gun Kelly, Eminem thing semi-recently, Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor. It feels like everyone's incentivized, but uh, a story that is not fake, uh, and like I said, I feel is in some ways less civil than this one. Let's talk about Brexit, the old bad baby transitioning to Brexit move. So Brexit, of course, refers to the United Kingdom leaving the European Union, which is a political and economic union of 28 nations in Europe. And the EU, among other things, has its own currency, the Euro, which is used by 19 of the member countries. The EU has its own parliament. They set rules and have things like a travel agreement that allows people to move freely between EU member states. And there's a lot involved here, but of course, the reason we're talking about this today is back in 2016, the UK voted to leave the EU. And it was incredibly close. It was a vote of 51.9% to 48.1%. 
50%, although some places were more on board than others. 53.4% of England voted for Brexit, 52.5% of Wales voted for Brexit, Scotland voted to remain with a vote of 62%, and Northern Ireland voted 55.8% to stay. What soon followed is yet a new UK Prime Minister by the name of Theresa May, who then triggered what's known as Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty, which allows EU member states to initiate an exit process from the Union. And the target exit date that was set was March 29th, 2019. And what we've seen over the past year are negotiations between the EU and the UK over what an exit would look like, and that has taken many twists and turns, and in fact resulted in several cabinet ministers resigning over the course of the negotiations. And keep in mind, for the sake of time, I'm having to simplify some of this. But one of the main areas of contention is soft Brexit versus hard Brexit. Some officials have called for a soft Brexit, which would retain the UK's access to a single market and customs union. And meanwhile, others have called for a hard Brexit, which would give the UK complete control over its borders and immigration, but force the UK out of the single market, potentially leading to severe economic consequences. And with that incredibly simplified lead up, that takes us to Wednesday. And after what's been described by some as fierce negotiations over these issues between UK and EU officials, on Wednesday, Prime Minister May came away with a draft agreement on what exactly Brexit would look like. And May needs this to be approved by the UK Parliament. Reportedly, the draft agreement is 585 pages and mostly addresses how the UK will leave the EU, but doesn't really say much about any future relationship between the two bodies. And I'll try to hit on some of the broader strokes of the agreement. Reportedly, with this draft agreement, the UK will have to pay at least 39 billion pounds to the EU to settle its outstanding financial obligations to the Union. It states that EU citizens living in the UK will get to maintain their existing residency rights, but notably doesn't address whether UK citizens will automatically be able to live and work in other EU countries. It also says that after Brexit is officially triggered on March 29th of next year, there will be a 21-month transition period. And during that time, the UK would still be subject to the EU's laws and regulations so that governments and businesses would have enough time to adjust. This is also said to be to give the EU and the UK enough time to reach a trade deal since the single market and customs union between the two will be eliminated. The deal also specifically focuses on Northern Ireland, which is part of the UK, but shares a land border with the Republic of Ireland and EU member state. And what to do with the border between Northern Ireland and Ireland has been an area of intense focus during these negotiations. And this is because Northern Ireland, which is largely Protestant, and Ireland, which is largely Catholic, have a long history of conflict and sectarian violence. And this is something that was only politically resolved through a 1998 peace agreement, which guaranteed an open border and freedom of movement between the two countries. And what we saw in the draft agreement is that it says that if no long-term trade agreement is reached between the UK and the EU during this transition period, there's a so-called backstop that will kick in. And this backstop means that all of the UK and Ireland would become a single customs territory with Northern Ireland even more closely tied to the EU single market. And the agreement also says that the customs union can only end if the UK and the EU both agree that it should. And so I guess in other words, the UK can't single-handedly pull out of the backstop. And to start off about this draft agreement, we'll talk about what are the positives that we heard. After the negotiations, we saw Prime Minister May speak to the press. When you strip away the detail, the choice before us is clear. This deal, which delivers on the vote of the referendum, which brings back control of our money, laws and borders, ends free movement, protects jobs, security and our union, or leave with no deal or, or no Brexit at all. We also saw the chief EU negotiator in the Brexit talks, Michael Barnier, voicing his support for the agreement, saying among other things, what we've agreed at negotiators level is fair and balanced. You also had German Chancellor Angela Merkel saying, I am very happy that after lengthy and not always easy negotiations, a proposal could be reached. Austrian Chancellor Sebastian Kurz saying that he was very pleased with the deal, saying the result is a good one. The French economy minister tweeting the agreement on Brexit is good news. This should allow Europeans and the British to find a way out that is in everyone's interest. Careful, however, we must ensure that the 
United Kingdom respects all European regulations. But it wasn't all just rainbows and sunshine. While many EU countries and officials have supported the Brexit deal draft agreement, there has been a lot of opposition from practically every side in the UK. After May and her cabinet approved the deal, several resignations came down. Two cabinet secretaries, Dominic Raab, the Brexit secretary, and Esther McVeigh, the work and pension secretary. Raab, who as Brexit secretary is of course key to executing Brexit, he called the arrangement to avoid a border with Northern Ireland a very real threat to the integrity of the United Kingdom and continued, saying, I cannot support an indefinite backstop arrangement where the EU holds a veto over our ability to exit. No democratic nation has ever signed up to be bound by such an extensive regime imposed externally without any democratic control over the laws to be applied, nor the ability to exit the arrangement. It's also been known that Esther McVeigh was unhappy with Theresa May's Brexit plans, and when the draft came out, she said it failed to honor the results of the referendum, adding, the British people have always been ahead of politicians on this issue, and it will be no good trying to pretend to them that this deal honors the results of the referendum when it is obvious to everyone that it doesn't. We have gone from no deal is better than a bad deal to any deal is better than no deal. I cannot defend this and I cannot vote for this deal. And also a thing to keep in mind, these are not the only two resignations we've seen today. We've also seen several other high-level ministers resign. There might be a few more down the road. And as this turmoil continued, Prime Minister May appeared in the House of Commons today to talk about the Brexit deal and it was something. At one point when talking about the deal, she was met with laughter. Mr. Speaker, what we agreed yesterday was not the final deal. It is a draft treaty. It is a draft treaty that means that we will leave the EU in a smooth and orderly way on the 29th of March 2019. We all saw this very interesting moment and response when she talked about the possibilities of what happens next while she was defending this draft bill. So, Mr. Speaker, the choice is clear. We can choose to leave with no deal. We can risk no Brexit at all. Or we can choose... can choose to unite and support the best deal that can be negotiated. And while you had these moments, it also appeared that there was a more formal opposition to May Foreman. And in fact, we saw this expressed openly by Jacob Rees-Mogg. He's a chair of the backbench of the European Research Group of Brexiters in the House of Commons. And we saw this moment where he confronted May in the House of Commons. My right honourable friend, and she is unquestionably honourable, said that we would leave the customs union. Annex 2 says otherwise. My right honourable friend said that she would maintain the integrity of the United Kingdom. A whole protocol says otherwise. My right honourable friend said that we would be out of the jurisdiction of the European Court of Justice. Article 174 says otherwise. As what my right honourable friend says and what my right honourable friend does no longer match, should I not write to my right honourable friend, the member for Altrincham and Sale West. And for those that don't know what the hell he just said, uh, that is deserving of this. One, you can probably tell it seems that he's saying something else when he's saying my right honorable friend. And two, what he's referring to at the end there is Graham Brady, who is the chair of the 1922 committee. And he is who would receive Jacob's letter of no confidence. A letter that has in fact been made public and this is a huge deal. So in the UK, in the parliament, members can call a no confidence vote. And so what that would require here is 15% of the conservative members of parliament would have to write letters to this 1922 committee calling for a vote. So right now with 315 conservative members, that means they need 48 people. And if they get that, which as of right now, they haven't locked that down fully, but they might. What would come next is May would need support from over half of her party, otherwise she's out. Theresa May would have to resign, and then there would be a contest to see who replaces her. But we're not there yet, and the main focus of the story is on Brexit and what we saw today. And in fact, in the House of Commons, we saw May respond. Can I say to my honorable friend, 
We will indeed. He has referred to the articles that relate to the protocol in the withdrawal agreement. I have been absolutely clear that some difficult choices have had to be made in relation to that protocol. Uh, those choices have been made uh, because I believe, and I strongly and firmly believe, it is important that we do ensure that there is no hard border between Northern Ireland and Ireland. But as I have said before, my honourable friend has heard me say before, it is not only our intention, but we will be working to ensure that that protocol does not need to be put into place. Also regarding the resignations and pretty much everything that has happened over the last 24 hours, she spoke to the press and said, I'm sorry that they've chosen to leave the government and I thank them for their service. But I believe with every fiber of my being that the course I have set out is the right one for our country and all our people. And all of that then brings us to the big question, what the hell happens next? Well, as of right now, there are a lot of different possibilities. And the initial difference in how things go, I mean, at first it starts with the UK Parliament. Do they vote for it or do they vote against it? Let's say if all the talk today was just talk, they end up just, they pass. It would then need to go to the EU summit for approval where 27 other EU member leaders would have to approve it. And there, experts have said there might be some hurdles with France, Spain, Denmark, and the Netherlands. Then we kind of have to suppose that the EU Parliament the UK Parliament, they vote in December, everything's great. Then sometime in early 2019, the EU Parliament would then vote on a withdrawal bill requiring just a simple majority. Then it needs EU Council approval, and then on March 29th, 2019, it officially happens. But based on what we're seeing today, I don't think that's gonna be the case. The more likely possibility is that the UK Parliament rejects the Brexit draft agreement. And with that, a lot of possibilities open up. The UK could leave the EU with no deal, which could be incredibly messy. The UK could also try to renegotiate the deal, and it has 21 days to put forward a new plan. But many officials have said that this is the best agreement that they'll like Get. We could also see Theresa May's cabinet completely fall apart and a general election take place. Or there is the extraordinary possibility that the government might call for a second referendum vote. But on that point, Theresa May has said that there will be no second referendum vote. So really the only way you get there is if she goes away. But also on that note, in all of this chaos, we've seen people in the streets and also in parliament calling for a people's vote, which obviously there are a lot of feelings about, right? The argument against a second referendum is the people decided there is no need for a, but are you sure? vote. But on the other side of this, you see a lot of different arguments. Some saying, well, in the lead up to the first referendum, there was a lot of lying. As far as what was happening then, what would happen, how easy it would be. Also saying the argument that over the past few years, because this has been such a focus, they've been looking further and further into it, negotiating. So now there's more information available for the public to decide if this is actually a good deal or not. Is this the right move? And with all of that said, with the situation in general for everyone, I'd love to know your thoughts about what we're witnessing here. But also too, for people specifically in the EU or in the United Kingdom, what are your thoughts? about Brexit and what we have seen over this past week. Also, since before the first referendum to now, has your opinion changed as far as whether leave or stay? Why, why not? Any thoughts? Because I'm, I'm fascinated as an outsider looking at this story. And that's where I'm going to end today's show. And of course, with this being the PDS, I'd love to hear your thoughts, whether it be the last story, the first one, anything in between. Also remember, if you like this video, you wanna support the channel, hit that like button, it helps us out. Also, if you're new here, you wanna subscribe, hit that subscribe button. I post at least one brand new video every weekday, which actually on that note, if you did miss the last Philip DeFranco show you want to catch up, you can click or tap right there to watch that. But with that said, of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow.